Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to second, uh, rather, First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. Now, um, I mentioned that uh, Pastor Corey did an incredible job on speaking. Uh, is anybody is anybody wearing their their bracelet today? Come on. Come on, some of you forgot. All right, you've already forgotten who you are. Some people, I like it that some of you remember who you are. You're the beloved of God. And today, uh, I want to give you some helpful information and revelation. Now, the helpful, I I got something really practical for people here today, just to start off today, okay? When I come across very helpful, practical information for people, I love to share it, okay? So this is just very practical. Here it is. Here it is. If you suck at playing the trumpet, that might be why. If you get it, explain it to them later. (laughs) Some of y'all be getting that joke in about 15 minutes. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, all right. Actually, today, I am going to be, um, I'm going to be your, uh, uh, your spiritual Jim Cantore. You know that guy that shows up when all the Weather Channel starts getting eyeballs? Like, I don't know why you played the Weather Channel all night to find out that nothing changed all night. Somebody probably did that in here. You, uh, you're all night long. You're like, dun, 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 dun. I'm going to be your spiritual, your spiritual Jim Cantori. By the way, if Jim shows up in, in uh, Citrus County, it's a guarantee the storm is not coming here, okay? <laughs> it always misses him. It always, he has to drive somewhere else. So I'm praying Jim comes here. I'm going to be your spiritual Jim Cantori, though, this morning, and I'm going to let you know. I'm going to give you a a grand announcement. Hey, there is a storm coming. There's a storm coming. There's something brewing on the horizon right now that all of the church needs to get ready for, and I want to tell you, by the way, Floridians are horrific at getting ready for storms. We are horrific at it. We're no good at it. By the way, if you're from another state, please listen to me. In the natural, these storms, they pop up all the time. And really, there's only one way. There's only really one way to know when to evacuate. Only one. If Waffle House closes... Get out. I don't understand it. Something in the butter, the grease, it doesn't mix. And they're like, that's it. We're out. Waffle House stays open. You're good. You're good, okay? But we're, we're not real good at preparing because there's always, that's all we hear all the time, the threat, the threat, the threat, the threat, the threat of a storm. But, you know, I, I believe that the church overall has actually kind of a little bit taken on that attitude and we're not actually uh, for the most part getting ready for the coming storm the coming in time environment by the way now you need to understand something about the storm the storm isn't 
It's not God sending the storm. God allows the storm. If God sent the storm, he'd want you to focus on the storm. But since God's not, God's allowing the storm, it could be that in the midst of the storm that's coming, we need to have the right perspective. I think there's a whole lot of people uh, in the church at first, what we do is we ignore the storm. Oh, it's all right. Things are going to be fine. We don't worry and we don't, we don't engage. We're not, really, we're not really walking in the spirit. We're not really trying to increase the kingdom. Oh, somebody else will do that. Somebody else will take care of that. One day, maybe I'll live for God and really love him. Maybe someday, you know, you know the, the whole indifferent crowd, you know, and then and then there's, there, there's the other side that, you know, you got the conspiracy Christians. And all they're talking about is the storm. I just want to call your attention to this truth. There was one time when one disciple was starting off in the miraculous... He said, in the middle of a storm, Jesus, if that's you, let me come to you. He's walking on the water. As soon as he focused on the storm, what happened? He sunk. He sunk. Aren't you glad that sometimes you get a little distracted in life and you can still call out to Jesus? And he's there to rescue you and to walk with you, by the way, on the water back to the boat. I want you to understand something today that even though the church of the last hour is going to endure some storms, that is not to be your focus. That's not to be the thing that you focus on. You're aware of it. You're aware that God has allowed it, but you're not, you're not focused on the storm. You're focused on who God is and who he has said you to be. You focus in on who he is, and what he has said, and who he has said you to be. Now, you should write this down before I get to my passage this morning. Your identity determines your perspective and your purpose. Your identity determines your perspective and your purpose. That means when God gives you an identity, that changes my perspective, not the storm. The storm that I face in life, what I'm enduring, what I'm going through, what I'm overcoming, that does not determine my perspective. No, he does. My identity, who he has made me to be in Christ. That determines my perspective, but not only my perspective, because sometimes people think they're good just because they have the right view. Listen, you need to have the right view of who God is and who you are and do something with it. That's your purpose. Your purpose is what you do because you know who you are. Come on, I, I see some of you looking at me right now like I'm... Like I just laid out nine vitamins for you to take. All right, fine. 
fine. I'll be your spiritual health coach too. Let me, let me just tell you how to take some spiritual vitamins. Why don't you start saying out loud, in the midst of a coming storm, why don't you get ready now? Start, start packing the, the spiritual sandbags a little bit. Start getting ready. Start getting stronger. Start growing a little bit. You say, how do I do that? Start listening. Listen. Start saying what God has said about you. On your mouth. Not just in your head. No, get it on your mouth. Come on, let me give you some, uh, let me give you some vitamins here today. I'm going to give you some vitamins. All right? And I'll give you the, I'll give you the scripture references. Why don't you say this out loud? If you're in Christ, now, by the way, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, none of these apply to you. By the way, if you're outside of a relationship with God, here's what we are we are sinners, we are enemies of God, we are without hope and without strength. All of that is Romans chapter 5. Oh, but in Christ. This is the game changer. If you are in Christ, why don't you say this? I am saved. Didn't that just feel good? I'm saved. You know what that means? I'm born of the Spirit of God. I am born again. Not of the will of man, but of the will of God. That's what 2 Timothy 1, 9 says. I'm saved. That means the storm may come, but I'm saved. I'm rescued. And by the way, I'm not just talking about one day in heaven. That's not saved. Saved is eternal life now. Saved is eternal life now. How about this one? Say this out loud. I am complete. Okay, yeah, all right. Some of these vitamins still have coating on them. You can get these down. I'm complete. This is Colossians chapter 2. This is what it says in verse 10. It says, you are complete in him. Well, what are you doing? We go through life. We go through our everydays and we think, oh, man, I, I don't have this or I don't do that or I'm not good at this or I'm not talented here and I'm not this or not that. Well, I got to tell you, your faith is working. Your life is following your mouth. What you've said, you're, you're simply becoming what you've said. Instead of saying, I am complete in Christ. Let me give you another one. How about this? I am a new creation. Oh, man, they're starting to feel real yummy in here today. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, and behold, he has made all things new. Oh, man. Now listen, if you grew up in a religious church like I did, this kind of talk would make you real nervous. Because there's only a couple things you can call yourself. Sinner. You're allowed to call yourself sinner. You are allowed to call yourself wicked thoroughly in every way. Says your heart is wicked. They're going to tell you. Sinner, wicked, I'm just going to tell you, that is true, apart from Christ. 
But when you get born again, my Bible says you're a new creation. I'll just keep going. I'll keep going. Come on, let me give you a dry vitamin. Let's see if you get this one down. Say this. I am the light of the world. Ooh. Come on. I know that made you nervous because that's the same title Jesus gives himself. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. But in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he looks right at the listener and he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill which cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But he he uncovers it so it gives light to everyone in the house. He said, So, this is the way you ought to live. So that the world can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh no, there's another word that you're not allowed to say in in some churches. Works. Yeah, people ought to see you and the way you're living for God. You're the light of the world. I know you're looking at me like, you know, you wouldn't say that. If you'd seen me last night, I didn't say it. This is what Jesus says. And we need more people coming into agreement with the identity that Jesus has declared over you. Why? Because it changes your perspective and it unfolds to you your purpose. Come on, I'll give you a few more. Say it. I am more than a conqueror. Uh Uh-oh, you know your addiction just heard you say that. Come on, your failure, that cycle you've been in, that thing that's been tormenting you, that anxiety heard you say, I'm more than a conqueror. Where's that come from? Romans 8, 37. The scripture that's all about the love of God, which is far beyond our understanding. It's, it's, it's higher and greater and wider than anything. And this says, and yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Boy, I wish there was a church that believed what God had to say about the people who welcomed Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. I'm just daring you to believe this book. By the way, you can't exhibit faith anywhere where the will of God is not known. What are you doing? You're making known to yourself the will of God over who you are. Come on, just say it. I am free. Well, this is John chapter 8. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm free. I'm free from every thought. Listen, you say, well... Come on, pastor, we're all just sinners. Romans 6 says that I have been set free from sin. I am no longer a slave to sin because I am under grace. You don't have to live in that bondage. Why don't you just say in the midst of your struggle, I am free because Jesus set me free. Come on, I'm going to give you a real, real dry vitamin right now. How about this one? I am healed. Some of you are like, well, I'm going to need some water with that one. Because you don't know the pain I had this morning. 
I'm just telling you what the word says. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he said, and by his stripes you were healed. And if you were healed, you are healed. And I just want you to know that Psalm chapter 30 says, we cried out to him and he healed us. Listen, the cross that saves is the cross that heals. That if God paid for our salvation and our healing in one fell swoop in that atoning work of Jesus on the cross, and I want to tell you, when we come into our identity, listen, in the last hour, I think there might be a people who need to know how to access the healing power of God. In the last hour, I think there needs to be a people. You might not be able to chase your really anointed pastor down. Where is he? I'm not feeling good. Somebody get the oil. Or you could just believe. Or you could just say what he said. Come on. Come on, men. I got one for all the men. I want all the men to say this out loud. I want you, just the men, just the men, just the men. Because women, you have no problem with this. Just the men, just the men. I want you to say this out loud. I am beautiful. Oh, I know all the women are going, oh, gosh. <laughs> Pastor, you should have seen him this morning in the bathroom sucking in his gut. <gasps> he thinks he's beautiful. <laughs> no, Song of Solomon says if you're in Christ, God says you are beautiful to me. Song of Songs 4. That's what Jesus says. You are beautiful to me. You know, we don't say those things, do we? Why? Because we have let the storm determine our perspective, and from that perspective, it's robbing us of purpose. If you thought God thought you were beautiful, my word, if you thought he was pursuing you, listen, if you're under 30 in here and unmarried, don't read the Song of Psalms. Y'all can't handle those mandrakes and fawns and... Y'all can't handle that, don't you? No song of songs in student ministry, okay? <laughs> Anyways, how about this one? Can you say this with confidence? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Ephesians 1, 3. Oh, man, there you go with that. No, no, no. I'm not saying it. The Word of God says it. Ephesians 1, 3 says that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I'm blessed with every blessing that God has ever pronounced. Why? Because Jesus had every blessing. And when I'm in Jesus, I get everything that belongs to him as an inheritance. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Somebody said to me this morning in the hallway before the first service, said, Pastor, I need to get some of your energy. I said, the coffee pot is right there. It's available. We brew hundreds of cups every week. And I got to tell you, Part of my energy is connected to my perspective, which is based on the Word of God. Not upon my performance. No, it's based upon... and, And when I say I am blessed, I know what the first definition of blessed means. In the Greek, the first definition of blessed means this, happy. Happy. 
When you're blessed, it doesn't say, oh, the first definition of blessed is melancholy. <laughs> no, when you're blessed by God, the favor of God rests on you. Joy will show up. And the what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, I'm blessed. I love it. It's, it's, it's happy. That's the first definition. Then it's fortunate. Then, it's, then the third definition is to be envied. Here's, here's, when you say I'm blessed, here's what it's saying. People will look at your life from the outside and sneer because they will be convinced you've been through nothing. They'll look, nothing bad happened to them. No, 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 no. That's not the definition of being blessed, that you don't go through some things. No, no, no. You don't camp in the place of your brokenness. You don't camp in the place of your defeat. If you fall, you get up. That's what the scripture says. Though the righteous fall seven times, he gets up again. I'm here to tell you when you're blessed, when you're favored by God, when you know I've got the joy of the Lord as my strength, it, 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 you may go through some things, but you don't stay in that storm. Some of you just need to say it every day. I'm a child of God. And if I'm his child, he gives me everything that he would give to his own child. Everything. Come on, you're already feeling better from those vitamins. I can tell from your faces. Can I give you two more vitamins to take? It's from this scripture that I was sharing while I was in Canada. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. I do have to tell you, I saw the glory of God fall on an Arabic community in such an uncommon way. In an afternoon service, listen, I, I did four services in the manner of about 14 hours. The third service, which was a little after 4 p.m., I begin to tell the testimony of what God has done in my life and begin to tell them some of the things I'm going to share with you. The glory of God came into the room, listen to me, and no one wanted to leave. Matter of fact, in that moment, there was a, a wonderful, I mean, there was such a prophetic flow. The Lord was speaking to me. That was incredible. But I watched a brain surgeon girl is doing her rounds. She is a brain surgeon. Like she can wear the, surge, the, the shirt. It ain't brain surgery. That's what she, the glory of God hit her. She's on her face praying in the spirit. Listen, when we came in a little after four, no one wanted to leave at 8 p.m. A glorious presence came into the room. Kids skipped dinner. They didn't move. No one wanted to leave. The glory of God came. Why? Because they got into a place where they got a revelation of who he was. And God began to tell them who they were created to be. And in that moment, heaven and earth collided. And they said, I never want to leave this place. 
There were so many got baptized in the Holy Spirit, so many touched by God. It was, it was nearly every single person in the room that testified. I got gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. It was powerful, transforming. Let me give you uh, just a couple of these thoughts that I was sharing up there. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now are a people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained the mercy of God. Let me give you just a couple of things for you to stand on. To add these to your I am declarations. Jesus gives his children a kingdom perspective and a kingdom purpose. And he declares these truths over you and you should too. Let me add these I am statements to your life. Say this out loud. I am a chosen generation. This first word chosen is very specific. We know what it's like to be chosen. Some of you have ever, if you've ever been involved in athletics, especially a pickup game of some kind, you know, there'll be a couple of captains and people get chosen and they get selected. And maybe you're that person that always got chosen last. And, and we kind of carry that perspective into our Bible reading. You know, when we see the word chosen, we're like, man, that I was just the leftovers, so God had no other choice but to take me on his team. That is not what this word means. This word means hand-picked. Hand-picked. Matter of fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 35, those mocking him used the exact same word to describe the office of Messiah. It says, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers sneered. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, here it is, the chosen one of God. So this title of chosen is one that was ascribed to messianic ministry. That Messiah was the chosen one, the hand-picked one by God. And I'm here to tell you, you are the hand-picked one by God for this place and this time. Acts 17 says, God pre-appointed the boundaries of your dwelling and the times in which you should live so that you could reach for him, grope for him, and find him even though he is not far from you. You have been hand-picked for this moment. You're hand-picked. Now this next word, though, is generation. Now we kind of think of that as a group of people that live during a season or a time of 40 to 70 years. That's not what this word means. That's not what this means. This word I need to, just so everybody in the room gets it, I'm going to translate this word directly from Greek to redneck. Okay? That way I know everybody gets it. The word in the Greek is genos. In redneck, it means kinfolk. 
kinfolk, kin, related. You are a hand-picked, what this means, family member with God. This unfolds all of the scripture that you see about adoption, that we have been adopted, that we now have this spirit within us that cries, Abba, Father. Why? Because he handpicked us to be family. And what he calls us as family is sons and daughters. Don't forget this. Don't forget the title of sons and daughters as we, we keep going here. Because 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 says, what should be the response of the hand-picked family members? Here it is. It says, therefore, as the, uh, it says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When you get hand-picked, you come to God. He says, and you come to me as a father. You're not just relating to me as the big guy in the sky, the guy who's got everything under control from a distance, but it seems like everything is spinning out of control. No, he says, when I handpick you, I pick you and I adopt you and I bring you into my family as a son or a daughter. Therefore, when I handpick you, come out. Come out of the sin. And by the way, anytime God says come out, there is an accompanying power and grace to come out. God never gives us a command. There's not a grace to walk in it. Never. Otherwise, why would he give us a command that we couldn't walk in? That just is not true about God. God's never going to give us a command. Confront that idea that you think God's going to give you a command you can't walk in or access by grace. You're God's hand-picked sons and daughters. But I want to give you this next one, and I'm just going to kind of breeze through this. Because I felt like you needed your vitamins maybe more than these points. Not only are you a chosen family member, say it, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a royal priesthood. Now, I'm going to help so many people today. Oh, my word, I'm going to help this Republican county this right, right now. By the way, that's what we are. A very, very conservative county to the tune of about... I got amens on that one. Uh, now, listen to me. This says you're a royal priesthood. That means your first citizenship is in a kingdom. Let me say it to you in another way. Your first citizen is not in a constitutional republic. By the way, that's, that's America. Did you know America is a constitutional? It's not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. I believe that all the way to my bones. But my, that's my secondary citizenship. I love America. 
America belongs to God. It was founded on God. This is a Christian nation in its root. Don't believe the lies. Anyone who tries to educate you differently does not know the facts, doesn't know the history, hasn't seen the documents. I promise you, George Washington, as he was being inaugurated president, even over his wishes, prayed and dedicated the United States of America to God. So, I say that your first government as a royal priesthood is a king. The king rules. So, I'm going to give you something very practical here. In the next 18 months or so, do not get caught up in election seasons. Come on. Some of you need to write that down. That's the word of the Lord. Some of like, I came to church and I needed a word. Here it is. Do not get caught up in the election cycle over the next 18 and a half months or whatever it's going to be. Some of you will end up in the hospital. You could be standing in front of television. You're going to, ah! And you know what you're going to be doing? Looking at the storm instead of who you are. I told you, I'm standing here in 2023 telling you you the storm's coming. And if you get caught up in the cycle, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stop reaching people. You're going to stop preaching the gospel. You're going to start pulling your hair out. I promise you, every, every network wants you mad, wants your blood pressure up. And your doctor wants your blood pressure up too. That way they can take your money. (laughs) By the way, for those of you who get angry all during the election season, where's that in the Bible? Nope, there's plenty. Nope, not one verse about man, man in election season. I just hate the people of the other party. They've lost their mind. Man, I don't know what to do with those people. What in the world? We ought to make our own nation here in Florida. We ought to secede. Oh, I know that was prophetic. Somebody in here had been saying that. I don't have any verses about losing my peace. Over an election cycle. I don't have anything. I don't have any verses. About about looking on the political sphere. Instead of keeping my eyes on the kingdom sphere. But I do have a verse that says. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let the peace of God rule. Some people don't let the peace of God rule their heart. They won't allow it to. Because they're letting other things. Why? Because instead of prayer. They're just tuned in. I'm giving somebody just some, just some good instruction. Do your duty. You need to vote. You were born in this nation. I believe... I believe God wants you to vote. I believe he wants you to vote by this book. All right. You say, how can I live this way? Here's how you do it. You live for the everlasting kingdom. Not one that comes and goes in election cycles. I'm going to live for the everlasting kingdom. 
Now, by the way, there's a few scriptures in the Bible that you're not supposed to read out of season. This is one of them, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But good news, September is just right around the corner, which means Walmart's going to be putting out the Christmas stuff. So I can read to you a Christmas verse, okay? It's coming, September 1st. Christmas stuff. Get ready. You're going to start hearing Mariah Carey any minute. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And then it finishes by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. That means D.C. can't stop it. That means no tide or storm can stop it. Glory to God. Why don't you come up higher and say, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm not going to live in that storm. I'm not going to live with my eyes on that storm. I'm a royal priesthood. I just want to finish by saying, not only is this a royal kingdom, it's a kingdom, but you're a priest. You're a priest. Did you know that the first job of the priest was not to serve the people? It was to minister to the Lord. The first job of the priest was to minister to the Lord. And I feel like many of us in the church, we have lost that identity. That Did you know the first thing that we're called to be as sons and daughters is to minister to God? You say, how do you do that? Now, let, me, let me just use a word that, that's more common. is to worship him. You see, when you use this, t- this terminology, the Jewish audience would have auto- automatically understood because those involved in tabernacle worship and, and temple worship knew how the priest would worship God. There are f- five common, thing, common ways, and you can just jot this down. I'm not going to go through all of this. Five common ways that a, uh, things that, that the priest worshipped God with. First, it was wood. Leviticus 6 says... The role of the priest is to always keep wood on the supernatural fire. Wood represents surrender. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So we live a surrendered life. Then we, we, we worship the Lord in water. So the priest would, would get water for the laver. And that was not for the cleansing of sins. It was for the daily cleansing. It was daily leaning on God. For this process of being sanctified and set apart. It's daily, God, do something more in my life. It's the water. It's the water of the Spirit. It's the washing of the Word. Then there was the offerings. All the time, the priests are are dealing with offerings. So how do they worship God? In generosity. All the time. It was generous. Generous. They're generous and generous again. Over and over again. And then they, they go a little deeper. They go, they go out of the outer court and into the inner court. And the first thing they have to do is they have to worship God with the oil. 
The oil is what kept the lamp burning. And they had to be anointed with this oil. And this oil represents intimacy with God. I would say it this way, intimacy with Jesus. And so you live in intimate relationship. You want to know how to minister to God? Get up and live in intimacy with Jesus. Make that your priority before the people, before feeding someone or helping someone or clothing someone. I'm telling you, you, if you will minister to God, you will find in that place, you will find the power necessary. To minister to people your whole life. So you need the oil, which is intimacy with Jesus. And lastly, the bread. The bread was on the table of showbread. This was a bread without yeast. It did not rise. It had bitter herbs in it. Why bitter herbs? Because, because it represents suffering. And this bread was actually raked. You might call it striped. And it was also pierced. Why? Because this bread was symbolic of Jesus. It used that that was called the bread of face. It was this 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 revelation of Jesus. And so this priest would worship the Lord symbolically through having a wonder of the Messiah. I wonder, church, do we still minister to the Lord with wonder in our heart over who he is? Do we have a fresh revelation of who he is daily that that beckons us into the secret place saying Oh, I want to know the depths of your love. Oh, I want to know the depths of your counsel. And the sweetness of your voice. It's the wonder of Jesus in the word. Now, make no mistake, when he calls you a royal priesthood, it's not because he only wants you ministering to him. He wants you to love what he loves, which is the people. And when they were called royal priesthood, the Jewish readers knew what he meant. It says, now through Jesus, he has opened the way for me to receive the Spirit of God. Now see, to the casual Gentile reader, we read royal priesthood, we're like, why does that mean the Spirit of God? Here's why. There was only three people in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God ever would come upon and rest upon. It was prophets, priests, and kings. Two of them are right here. It was the announcement to the Jewish reader that you've been handpicked by God, brought into his family. You are in a kingdom which lives at a higher level than any empire that you will find yourself under. Also, then he says, and I am going to make possible the ministry I have called you to by my spirit. You're a royal priesthood. Remember, sons and daughters... Sons and daughters are in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, and this is what comes from Joel chapter 2, and it says, in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and daughters. That's you. That's the royal priesthood. That's the hand-picked family of God. I'm going to pour out of my spirit. On those sons and daughters, and they shall what? Prophesy. They're going to hear the voice of God, and they're going to say what he is saying. 
Your young men see visions and your old men dream dreams. On my men servants and maid servants I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Notice the atmosphere is not that good. I will show wonders in heaven above. Blood and fire, moon into blood. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. Not a good atmosphere. Here's what it... Storms coming. But notice the last verse, verse 21. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, listen, there's going to be a hand-picked family of God full of the Spirit of God who doesn't focus on the storm but carries the message of the gospel. And many will come into relationship with Christ when you finally say yes. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood anointed for this moment to preach this gospel in power and conviction. There's so much more here. But let me just say this. When God says you are a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, here's what we need to say. I am those things, but oh, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we need to do in the last hour. When the sun is darkened and the moon to blood, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, we will not be deterred. Why? Because I've been made an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Listen, I believe we're all, we're all going to hear that trumpet one day. The dead in Christ shall rise, then we which are alive and remain shall, shall be caught up in the air, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. But listen carefully. There will be some birth pains. There will be some things that we have to endure. And there'll be some people in the church who get offended that they're having to endure because they thought they were just going to escape it all. No. Jim Cantore's here. Saying, get ready for the storm. Start saying who God has said you are in Christ. Believe the word and receive the spirit.